In this very important episode, we announce our theme for Story 2017. We make you aware of an unbelievable opportunity to learn from a 20-year veteran storyteller of Pixar and have an amazing conversation with artist and writer Amber Ray about the power of wonder over worry and life and the creative process. Get ready. It's an incredible week on the Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Story Podcast. And I am back with Sammy. And Sammy, this is a huge week for Story. Yeah, I'm so glad that I got to be here yes. to talk, hear all about it. This is a big episode of the show. Uh, a couple of huge announcements uh, coming up. And then our guest for this week is absolutely incredible. I could have talked to her for hours. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so this is our big theme uh, week. So we're going to tell you the theme for Story 2017, kind of the conversation that we're going to be having over the course of the two days at the conference um, and why you'll, you'll understand after we tell you what that theme is and what we're going to be talking about, why we chose this week's guests. Um, she was absolutely incredible. But before we get there, huge announcements. First, I want to fill you in, Brad Montague, his workshops. Um, two of them are completely sold out. There are still some seats left for Los Angeles and Denver, but those are selling quickly. Um, I think there's only like less than 30 seats left in wow. L.A., um, and maybe like 40 seats left in Denver. And so those are selling quickly and they're still months away. So make sure you jump on the website and do that. You can learn more at storygatherings.com. But speaking of workshops, we have yet to make this news public. The only people that know about this are the people who pre-registered on site for story t- at Story 2016 for Story 2017. We told them about something new we're going to try this year. Story is happening on September 21st and 22nd. But on September 20th, the entire Wednesday before, we were having an all-day workshop with Matthew Lund, who spent over 20 years as the story supervisor at Pixar. That's unreal. How did you get this guy? <laughs> um, well, we've, I've talked to him for a long time. I've had so many conversations about trying to do something together, and it finally worked out. Um, and so I'm excited because people who want to learn from the best, uh, it doesn't get much better than Pixar. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the things we got on our feedback forum from Story 2016 was like, hey, we loved everything about the conference, but we still would also love just to focus on some of the basics of narrative and storytelling. Mm. And it doesn't get much better than, than Pixar. They're incredible storytellers. Sure. And so whether you work at an agency and tell stories for commercials or in business environments, if you work for a, a for-profit company and want to learn how to incorporate and tell your brand story, um, or you're a screenwriter or an author, you just want to learn the power of narrative and storytelling, you could spend an entire day with Matthew on Wednesday, September 20th. And wow. so registration is going to be live by the time this podcast episode goes live. And so you can check that out. Amazing. Yeah, we'll shoot an email out to everybody. Um, but it's going to sell out really quickly. You know, we have like maybe 10% of the capacity for this workshop that we have for the full conference. Oh, wow. Uh, and because we already told, um, everyone who had already registered on site last year about this, they were kind of, they kind of got first dibs on the seats. Okay. A bunch of these tickets are already gone. So learn more on the website. Once again, it's storygatherings.com and come hang out with the guy who helped create the story for 
Toy Story 1, 2, 3, Monsters. That's unreal. I'm so excited uh, about Wally, that. Wally, uh, oh gosh, Ratatouille, Cars, like these are classics. Sure, yeah, so that's yeah. going to be huge. So moving along to our next announcement, our theme. Sammy, I'm so excited to unveil this theme. So our theme for Story 2017 is a carnival of curiosity. Woo! A carnival of curiosity, yeah. <laughs> so tell me... I've been working on this for months, I so I felt like had. I just let yeah. out like this huge <laughs> secret. <laughs> tell me more of the backstory about yeah. how you got to yeah. the Yeah, well, so it's kind of cool. We, we decided, well, we're a conference, right? Story is a conference. Um, and I kept writing out, like, this year we're a conference of... We're a conference. No, and then I crossed out the word conference and wrote, Carnival, which is kind of how we're, we're writing it out. So this year we are a carnival of curiosity because I was thinking about this idea of taking risks, um, you know, facing your fears, having the courage to create. And in the context of that conversation, the thing that pushes you to create is when your curiosity is greater than those voices of fear, because mm. it's that what if. It's like, oh, I'm scared to create this. I'm scared to take this risk. I'm scared to put myself out there as an artist. Yeah, but what if? Yeah. And that curiosity um, drives you. And if your curiosity is greater than your fear, you can tell stories that are meant to be told. You can create art that is meant to be created. And it's what we're all capable of if we get to the point where our curiosity is greater than our fear. And so it kind of started with that. I want to have that conversation about taking risks. And I kept coming back to this image in my head of monsters being magical. Um, and I, I knew we couldn't make this year like entirely about monsters. It sounds so dark, <laughs> right? Like we're focusing on the villains of the stories, but you know, I have a three and a half year old and he has recently discovered monsters for some reason, maybe cartoons, some of the movie, maybe it's Pixar. It's the stories mm, that Matthew wrote probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's scared of them. And I'm like, buddy, like one, we've been talking a lot about his imagination and what's real and what's not. And I've been careful to tell him that what we imagine isn't necessarily real because it's not always sure. the case yeah um and you know another thing this is really funny it's it is somewhat relevant there's that great line from alice in wonderland where she's talking to her dad you know she's having these like it's apparently these nightmares these dreams and she goes have i gone mad and he goes yes but i'll tell you a secret all the good ones are basically <laughs> Um, and Jude and I have this thing now where anytime he, he feels like he's crazy or I'm like, Jude, you're crazy, but guess what? And he smiles and goes, all the good ones are. That's uh, amazing. Yes, which I love. And I so love that. My, my hope is that he grows up with this belief that, yes, I guess sometimes monsters can be scary mm -hmm. and monsters in our stories always embody fears and insecurities, mm -hmm. but monsters can also be really magical. And while the, the business world loves to scream, punch fear in the face, mm -hmm. I think, and we're going to get into this in this week's conversation yeah. with our guest, but I think for the for the creative process, you don't punch your fear in the face, you dance with it. And when you dance with your fear, amazing things start to happen. That's yeah. when you start creating art that ends up in museums. Mm -hmm. That's when you start writing stories that end up winning Oscars. Because the part of taking that risk and not playing it safe means you're breaking the formulas and the stereotypes and you're doing the thing that everyone else was scared to do. Mm -hmm. That's where you get really innovative uh, and exciting. And so I'm excited about our theme for this year. As you can tell, we've spent months working on it. And over the course of the next few months, we're going to begin to unveil all sorts of stuff, our artwork, the new website. There's just a lot of excitement going on around story. And so uh, this week's guest is Amber Ray. Um, you actually discovered Amber Ray and told us about her. And I'm kind so of. glad that you did. Yeah. The first time I heard about Amber Ray was my husband, Brandon, 
who was on the show, I guess a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our love story. Your love story, yep. Yeah, a really crazy love story. So he's a nut, like he's crazy and he's always up to something. And so he started telling me about this idea for this project he had to go like over to this country um, overseas and do this crazy art project and like going to a country where it might be really difficult to do that, where there's a lot of conflict. I was like, mm-hmm. what the heck? Who is this person <laughs> that's like helped Brandon get this crazy idea into his mind? She has to be equally as crazy. <laughs> and she is. And I adore her. And yes. um, you'll hear more about that art project. They did end up doing it this at the time, but I think it will happen one day. Yes. Um but she's crazy in the best ways because she... All the best ones are. Because all the best ones are. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation with Amber Yes. Ray. So she's working on a project that has to do with wonder mm-hmm. and choosing wonder over worry. And because the context of this conversation, at least that I was really excited about, was this our theme this year of curiosity and the role that curiosity plays in our lives and our stories that we tell. Um, and I said, what is the difference between wonder and curiosity? And you'll hear her her answer about wonder in action and it's mm. gonna it's gonna be so awesome. And that is what Story 2017 is all about. Wonder in action, which happens to be curiosity. So mm. let's roll this. It's a really good one, folks. You're gonna you're gonna love this one. This is Sam and I's conversation uh, with she was in New York City, sat down with us via good old Skype. <laughs> I can't believe we still use Skype. It's a Microsoft <laughs> company, but we do. Enjoy this one with Amber Ray. Amber, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I want to jump in. This book that you're working on, tell us more about that. Sure. So it's about this idea of choosing wonder over worry. And essentially, I realized that I was hijacking my creative process because I had a lot of fear, doubt, and worry that was sabotaging me and holding my creativity back. And so this was, this was several years ago. And in the midst of that process, I realized like, wait, okay, what's going on here? I have this voice in my head, this worry voice saying, is this ready? Is this good enough? Are you capable? What are people going to think of this? You know, this, that incessant looping voice. And underneath that or next to that voice, I, I had another one. And that one said things like, you know, well, how can we prepare? What would it look like to show up? You know, just just go for it and let's see what happens. And that was really my my voice of wonder, my voice of strength. And so once I began to sort of see that inside of my head I had two voices and that I was spending a lot of my time in worry and that was holding me back and that wonder could propel me forward, I started to get really curious. And that really took me on this this whole journey of worry and wonder and, you know, meeting with neuroscientists who told me that 80% of the average person spends their time in regret about the past or anxiety about the future. So essentially, the average person spends 80% of their time worrying. And, uh, you know, in talking with more creatives and meeting with actors and designers and entrepreneurs and innovators and and people creating all kinds of things, I really became deeply immersed in all of the conversations in their head and realized how big of a challenge this is for people. And, you know, we live in a world of, of social media and technology where things are moving faster and faster and faster. And I'm finding that some of our advances are actually 
not only creating things like FOMO or uh, where comparison syndrome, where we're comparing ourselves to other people or even imposter syndrome, um, but there's this, there's this proliferation of worry and it's holding us back. And so the book is really how, if we're in worry, how do we choose a, uh, a lens of wonder and how do we really learn to cultivate a mindset of, of wonder so that we can move through and beyond anything and do the work that we're really here to do. It's amazing. Something I'm curious about, what type of work were you doing whenever you started considering your different voices in your head between wonder and worry? The specific project that I was working on was um, a global art project called The World We Want. And, and I had, you know, I had noticed sort of voices, I'd called them fear, I'd read, you know, Stephen Pressfield's The Resistance, I worked with Seth Godin, and he talked about the lizard brain. And so I, you know, I knew about these different concepts intellectually, though I don't feel like I felt them as much emotionally. And it came, it really came to a front when I decided I wanted to play and pursue art, even though I had never gone to art school, and even though I had no experience in and doing really anything that artistic. And so that's what my worry voice, of course, because our worry voice gets really loud when we're outside of our comfort zone. And so here I like one day I walked into this gallery with mixed media art lining the walls and a sense of awe moved through me. And my wonder voice said, you know, it's time to make some art. And that's when worry jumped in and said, art, who are you to make art? You didn't go to art school. You don't know anything about art. Like you're ridiculous. This is silly. You know, you should just leave the art gallery now before you do anything uh, that embarrasses you. (laughs) And so, but my wonder voice in that moment was like, Hey, that guy over there, you know, I think he might run the show here, start a conversation. And so it was sort of this where I became aware of moment by moment, I was able to label, Whoa, that's worry talking. Whoa, that's wonder talking. Like having this sort of almost outsider observer perspective on what was happening moment by moment um, enabled me to be like, wait, what would Wonder do here? And so in that moment, I ended up meeting the guy who ran the gallery and, you know, inviting him. What if I brought, you know, a group of women here next week? Would you lead a workshop where you teach us all about art? And he agreed, agreed to doing it. And that sort of sent, you know, sent us, sent me down this whole, this whole journey, but it got really loud when, for me, the worry voice got really loud when I was moving towards something that was really worthwhile, really meaningful, really outside my comfort zone, something I had never done before. Um, And of course, you know, that, that worry voice is really trying to protect me, but you know, sometimes in how it tries to protect us, it also will hold us back. Sure. You said something a second ago, you said comparison syndrome. Have you, Have you, in your research, is that actually a thing or is that a term that you're coining? You know, I don't know if it, it's definitely the idea of people comparing themselves to other people and especially comparing their insides to someone else's outsides that they see in turn in people's like Instagram highlight reels, for example, is definitely a thing. I don't know if it's called quote unquote comparison syndrome. (laughs) I think it should be. I think so too. (laughs) But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna double check after this. <laughs> That's really awesome. I you know I it's a new thing. I, I don't know that you know my grandparents had to struggle with comparison as much because mm-hmm. they didn't interact with people in the same way that we are interacting with people in 2017, um, and they didn't have this screen to showcase the parts of their life on that they wanted to showcase. And so 
if it is indeed a syndrome, I would imagine that it is a new one for sure, just because of the rise of social media and um, the way that our technology is shaping the way we view ourselves and other people. And so, yeah, I just, I kind of really like that idea. I'd love for you to explore that more as you write the book. Not, not that it's my job to tell you what you should write in your book. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 totally. But well, it's funny. And I think why I even said comparison syndrome is because I've been doing deep research into imposter syndrome, which that's like a thing. And that was actually coined by, um, a clinical psychologist in 1978. So that sort of tells you about the emergence of when these things have become a thing. And so, you know, in 1978 is when people started, mostly even high achieving people is, is what imposter syndrome is really an issue for, which is people who think like, do I deserve to be here? Uh, who am, who am I to do this? Are they going to find out that I'm a fraud? Are they going to like wake up tomorrow and actually knock on my door and think that I'm stupid and I don't deserve this? Like, and I was, I've been doing all kinds of, um, looking into this morning. I I remember Jodie Foster, it was, she won a Grammy and she thought like, are they going to take my Grammy away? Or Tina Fey, you know, she said that she sometimes has voices screaming in her head, like, oh my God, they're going to find out. They're going to find out that you are just like making this all up. And Mary, <laughs> Mary Angelo said that, you know, she's written, she had written, I think, 11 books and she still thought like, oh, they're going to figure out my game now. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to think that no matter how high up that you could get, that you could still wrestle with those feelings of doubt. Totally. Totally. And I... I've been hosting these Choose Wonder over worry dinners at our at our loft, which we call Wonderland. And I had this group of people recently and it was like, you know, there was like a recent grad who's like exploring dance and then across from her is a Grammy nominated musician and sitting next to him was like this person who is just an incredible videographer. And then we had a filmmaker. It was just like a, a room of really interesting creatives and every single person in that room was struggling with imposter syndrome. And it was just, you know, fascinating to see that not only did everyone was everyone dealing with that, but most people are suffering in silence. And that's the biggest, one of the biggest things that breaks my heart because, you know, here we are, we're feeling the same things where, you know, we, we have similar voices in our head and yet we're not talking about it because there's a lot of shame in our society around these sorts of feelings. And so what happens is that we suffer in silence when really we're, you know, what we're suffering around is actually what unites us and can bring us together. And so it's been really beautiful to see like people be like, oh, wow, I'm not, a, wow, you, you're feeling that too? I'm not crazy? Wow, I feel so much better just knowing that I'm not crazy, you know? <laughs> you, uh, you were talking about kind of those voices in your head and what they tell you. And then you said that you often ask in response, but what would wonder do here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you think that question plays a role in the creative process for other artists and dreamers and creators? You know, you know I think it's one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves because in in any moment, if we're if we're noticing ourselves blocked or stuck or paralyzed or second guessing or even um, unmotivated, we can ask wait, like, how would wonder handle this situation? What would wonder do? And really, when we're, we're living in a space of worry, and especially if we're asking ourselves these binary yes, no questions, like, uh, who am I to do this? Or am I good enough? Um, what happens is that we literally shut off most of our brain. And so we cut off our ability to really be imaginative and to be creative and to come up with with interesting solutions. And so when we when we say, you know, what would wonder do or, you know, and, and people can personalize this question. 
for them, um, what would wonder do that, that turns our brain back on, that opens our mind, that opens our imagination. And that's where we can have solutions and that's where we can step back into flow. And, and yeah, so I think it's, it's a really powerful uh, question for people. I have another question. Do you have any practical exercises that a creative could use to learn more about how to listen to the voice of wonder in their life? Yes. Um, I have one, I have one exercise I want to share before I go into a practical. Can we do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was, I was just thinking of this when I was talking, you know, what would wonder do? Um, so one of the most effective tools that I've used in my process and I've experimented and used on thousands of other people is this idea of naming your worries. And so I literally, for my perfectionist, for example, my perfectionist is a 30-something-year-old British woman with short blonde hair whose name is Grace. And I don't know why her name is Grace, that it just sort of like all came this one day. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, should she be yeah. graceful? <laughs> maybe it's that I so badly want her to be graceful that I became a perfectionist about her becoming that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but by creating a sort of character around whatever that ongoing worry is for us. So for some people, it's, you know, it's maybe more about self-worth. Maybe, you know, it's about perfectionism. Maybe it's about a fear of rejection or failure. Whatever it is, you can create a character around that, that worry voice. And then you can dialogue with that character. And what happens is that, and this is like a valid psychological technique, where we're taking a voice in our head to a character that we can have a conversation with. And it makes us much more objective. And so I can, if I'm like in the middle of writing something and becoming overly perfectionistic where I'm either not writing or being paralyzed by it, I can be like, hey, Grace, what's going on? You know, the important thing is to really maintain, you know, I think of wonder's best friends as curiosity, compassion, and courage. And so how do I speak to Grace in a loving and compassionate way and say, you know, hey, it seems we're stuck here. Can you tell me like, you know, what's going on? And talk to that part of yourself like you would someone that you love, like you would um, one of your best friends. Right. That makes so much sense. I, I love the idea of just, you know, how you fight some of those voices. I'm, I'm really curious how much, and, and maybe you haven't researched this yet, but in your research of figuring out where the source of worry is coming from, some of it's that imposter syndrome idea, some of it is that comparison syndrome idea that you talked about. How much of, how much of the voice of fear and worry comes from our childhood and what is told to us when we're kids? So worry comes from three places, or I've so, so far traced it back to three places. One is our, so it's our uh, ancestral baggage. So imagine, you know, thousands of years ago, we're getting chased by a tiger on the African savanna, and that's where we learned our sort of fight, flight, freeze response. And, you know, if suddenly we're, you know, walking through some grass and out of the corner of our, you know, or we hear some rustling and then out of the corner of our eye, we spot a lion, what we're probably going to do is we're going to run. And so we, many of us, because of the response that we built, you know, way back when to protect ourselves, um, that has caused us to, many of us to have a low level threat of anxiety in our lives without even realizing it. And so it's unconscious and it comes up in things like getting cut off in traffic or an upcoming deadline or paying taxes. These things can sort of create that same sort of triggered response that if we were getting chased by a lion and it was life or death. Hmm. 
So that's the the first place. And then the second place is childhood baggage. Absolutely, what you were just saying. So we, um, I, this is, I had met with Dr. James Doty, who's this uh, neuroscientist, neurosurgeon at, uh, at Stanford. And he was sharing that, you know, almost every child has this I'm not good enough moment in their, in, in their early childhood where they create a narrative, whether it's like, so for me, like one story I have is that this boy in fifth grade, uh, when I asserted myself in class, yelled, this isn't the Amber show. And I remember I can like go back vividly to that moment in fifth grade where I started to feel self-conscious and question sharing my voice because I thought, oh, I don't want to upset anyone. And, um, and so what happens is that, you know, we have these different moments in our childhood that create a story around our, you know, whether it's our worth or our creativity or our talents or our lovability, whatever it is. Um, and then we also internalize sometimes the voices of other people. So maybe our, whatever it is, our, our parents' relationship to creativity or, you know, what our teacher, we learn from our teacher or the media and how women, you know, are a size two with chiseled abs and that's what beautiful is. Hmm. Whatever, you know, we, we sort of internalize these different stories in our childhood. And then um, the last thing is, Oh, and actually, that was the last thing. That thing is more like cultural baggage. So childhood baggage and then cultural baggage is what we internalize from people around us, from our environment. Hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Do you, you keep talking about wonder. Obviously, that's your thing. Do you, I'm curious what you feel is the difference between curiosity and wonder. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think of them as sort of sidekicks. <laughs> <laughs> It's allowed. Everyone needs a good sidekick. And you know, I how wonder and worry came to me was really that it just sort of worry and wonder and it, you know, they were these these friends and um <laughs> like frenemies. Frenemies, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Frenemies, but like once you once you learn how to have them work together, they actually like worry and fear is often trying to like help us or protect us. Absolutely. That, sometimes it's being a bully and that's when we have to send a boundary. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, you know, there is some wisdom in, in our worries and in our fears. So it's learning how to, to really get to that. But I see one or a curiosity, you know, and this, these aren't actual definitions, but for me, what sort of curiosity is uh, wonder in action in a way. So when I think of what it means to be in wonder, it's really to have a sense of curiosity, to maintain a sense of compassion, and to courageously keep moving forward. And so um, that's sort of the, the definition I've, I've created around, around this work and this process. So I see them as, you know, similar sidekicks and friends. Yeah, I love that idea of wonder in action. <clears throat> that's a really mm -hmm. cool phrase. I'm Thank like you. processing it deep, <laughs> deeply right now. <laughs> so earlier you talked a little bit about the art project that you were doing whenever you started thinking about the voices of wonder and worry. Could you tell us a little bit more about that project? I, I know about it, but I want the listeners to know about it too. Absolutely. So several years ago, I don't know how many years now, days and years and weeks all became the same thing. <laughs> um, I basically started to just notice, and so actually this goes to my, my uh, wonder exercise that we didn't get to earlier, so it's perfect. Um, I started to notice these clues in my life around art, whether it was I was surrounding myself with more artists, I noticed my body was literally drawing me in the direction of art galleries and studios, and 
I just noticed this fascination with art that I had never really felt before. And I thought, this is interesting. I wonder what this means. <laughs> and so I just began, you know, sort of, you know, turning my head a moment longer, pausing to really take something in, um, and really actively trying to talk to more artists. I just thought there might be something here for me. So why don't I explore it? So I was in what I would call like the art of noticing clues, which is this idea that like, there's all of this information and guidance around us if we can pay attention. And so um, while, while I'm in the midst of sort of noticing these clues around art being interesting to me, I decided that I wanted to talk to more strangers in New York because here I was, I was walking down the streets of New York and constantly curious about the conversations going on inside people's heads. What are they thinking about? What's, what are their dreams? What are their hopes? What are their fears? What's in their way? These sorts of questions. And so I went into a uh, cafe in my neighborhood and decided like I had these post-it notes and a marker and a set of questions and I was going to dive into and have conversations with people. And so um, I, you know, I sat down in this cafe and I, I, I'm feeling very nervous. My worry voice is thinking this is silly and I should go home. And my wonder voice is like, well, this guy to your right, he's kind of looking at you because you keep staring at him. And so why don't you ask him your questions? And so anyway, like this one conversation where I asked him like, you know, what does love mean to you? What are you afraid of? What is the world you want to live in? Um, and those sorts of things really, he said, created an opening for him and like an amazing release. And was just such a, you know, nice interruption to his day. And so I thought that was interesting. And so that one question led me to have, I don't know, uh, 300 or so questions over the following uh, 300 conversations over the following two weeks where people were just really opening up. I had people break down and cry and tell me that, you know, they can't believe they're sharing this with me, but, you know, dot, dot, dot. Or um, an older man, you know, he, he his biggest fear was that he was going to, you know, let his family down. And um, just really incredible, soulful, nourishing, beautiful conversations. And the more I kept talking with people and the more I kept seeing these strangers open up, I thought, we ha I have to do something with this. And so um, that was around the time that, um, well, I just, I think my first idea was, well, how can I make a public art project out of this? How can I create a space and communities where people least expect it to have these sorts of conversations? Because, you know, it's great for me to have it in one-on-one, -on -one, but could I create a space for more people to engage in that dialogue? And so around that time, I realized that my neighborhood Dumbo was having the, their yearly art festival in like a month. And it was, you know, you know, those moments where you're like, this is it. I have to be a part of that art festival. I don't know why. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I've, I've got to be there. It was that sort of like feeling and rush that went through my body of this is exactly what I must do next. It was, you know, there was like no question, no shadow of doubt. But of course, I go home and I go online and I look into the application process and applications had closed like three months before. Hmm. And so I was like, Damn! <laughs> 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 but again, I was like, no, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a way. And so I had a friend who worked in real estate in the neighborhood, and so I went to her and I was like, who's in charge of this and what's their information? And so she gave me, you know, gave me the contact information, and I went home and I crafted this whole email about why this, you know, this project must be involved in the upcoming festival. And of course, you know, I'm about to hit send and worry. Worry's really freaking out because Worry thinks this is very disrespectful. And how could I send something just weeks in advance? And they've worked all year for this, you know, all that. And Wonder's like, 
send the damn email. <laughs> Let's find out. And so I sent the email and essentially she got back to me and was like, it really sounds like you know what you're doing, which was funny because I'd never done anything like this before. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, you know, I found you a wall. Can you be ready in three weeks? And so that just, you know, sent me down this like fierce spiral of, because I had no idea how to build a public art installation where I had to like figure everything out, you know, the stencils, the questions. And, you know, even I hadn't fully formalized the theme of the project. Um, but in three weeks we launched um, and it was called The World We Want. And after all these questions, I, you know, where people gave the most compelling responses was either around their fears or around the world they wanted to live in. And for whatever reason at that time, I decided I wanted to create a more, um, like a more imaginative, what is the world you want to live in versus what are you afraid of? I felt like there was actually so much being talked about, about fear that I wanted to create a different narrative. <clears throat> anyway, so the world you want launched and it was this interactive public art uh, ch interactive chalkboard where people could come up and write on the chalkboard and answer two questions. I want to live in a world where, and to create this world, I will. Mm. And 200,000 people ended up coming through in the opening weekend, which was crazy. And people would stay, you know, for hours around this board and meet people in the community that they had never met before and talk about, you know, the world they envisioned and how they felt responsible and what they were going to do about it. And it was just this really you know, beautiful experience. And so from, from that um, moment forward, after that went live, I had people reaching out in different parts of the world, you know, can you bring this to my city or my country? Um, and we ended up in two years spreading to, I think, about 20 countries. Um, and thanks to, I, so I partnered with local makers in, in these different cities. I was like, it's not, you know, I, I would love people to experience the joy of bringing the experience to their community. And so essentially created a playbook where anyone could bring this wall to their, their space. That's incredible. Thank you. I, I think the, what I love most about it is that second question and the, the, and, and I will part. Yeah. The call to action. Cause I feel like totally. that's, that's often what we leave out of the conversation, right? Like it's really easy to vent on Twitter or Facebook or whine about the way things are, or say, I wish things were like this. Mm. It's much harder to actually close your laptop or turn off your yeah. phone and actually go out and do that thing that makes it possible. Or to even totally. start thinking about what some solutions are. I feel like that's an amazing place to start. A lot of people don't even get there. So it's yeah. amazing that your project had a call to action to get people to start moving on their own. Yeah. Totally. Who, who have been your sources of inspiration, your, your wonder mentors? <laughs> I love that. Ooh, I like, that's a great term. <laughs> <laughs> you might see that in the book. Who, maybe, yeah. Who's, who has been your source of wonder, I guess? <laughs> oh, so many, so many people. You know, I see mentors as the man in the park playing music in such a way that his whole soul is being expressed through uh, what he's playing in that moment. And so, you know, my mentors are people, random strangers that maybe I just even see at a distance, but the feeling that they're expressing in the creation of whatever they're creating moves me so deeply that I'm inspired through that. Everything from that to like, you know, an obvious one that comes to mind is I, I worked with Seth Godin to start a publishing company. And so, you know, for six months, I was, you know, 
in his office most days. And he was an incredible mentor to me and challenged me in every way that I didn't know I needed to be challenged. And so he's been an amazing mentor. I think of um, Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, went to actually how the, I even really started taking the book seriously as I went to a workshop with her. And she asked this question of, um, what are you willing to give up to live the life that you're pretending that you want? And that really struck me because I had been pretending that I wanted to be an author, but hadn't really devoted the time there. And <clears throat> from that workshop moving forward, I cleared my calendar and began focusing on on writing this book. And um, and this was actually funny enough, the thing that brought the most worry up for me. Oh, my voice doesn't matter. This has already been said. You know, all the that chatter. Um, again, around something that was so meaningful to me. And so those are those are a few of the the people that I, I look to often. Yeah. I love, I love, one of my questions was going to be what, what, uh, what, if, what was it like working for Seth Godin? Mm. Uh, tell us more about that. you you know, when you're in his office almost every single day, there's gotta be so much that you soaked up and wisdom that you gained. Yeah. I mean, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I really, there's a secret that Seth Godin has, and I really want to know what it is, and maybe you can help me figure it out. Uh, and that is, every time I email Seth Godin, he replies back to me, usually within like the hour. Yeah. And I, he has so much going on, and he produces so much content, and in oh my, my mind, gosh. it just feels impossible. So the, the, the thing that leaves me in wonder the most of Seth Godin is how does he reply to my emails? <laughs> How, but wait, how long are his replies? Are the, they, they're a couple sentences, right? Sometimes. I mean, we talked a lot about the story community and, you know, his interest in just being willing to participate in what we're doing. And, uh, you know, sometimes his emails turn into a few paragraphs and, you know, multiple replies back and forth each day. And anytime that happens, I just go, how are you doing this? Like, how, how yeah. is this possible? So what's, what is his secret? You know, you'd you'd have to ask him that, but <sighs> from <laughs> from what I observed, he, I mean, we would come in, and so here we're starting this publishing company, and we would come in, and he sort of set the context, context, built the team, and we were on a mission to, you know, make things happen. And in Seth's words, go go go, um, and he spends the majority of his time writing posts and responding to emails. It seems he's, you know, he's behind his computer, he's full on. Of course, he's was supporting us in whatever challenges that we have. But, you know, I think he's really, he knows that how he built what he's built is a result of the people he's built it for. And while he never said that directly, for me, there was always just a sense of generosity and um, a desire. He just has a desire to give and teach and, and contribute, you know? Yeah. Why do you think he stayed off of social media? Hmm. You know, I think another question to ask him. <laughs> um, I don't want to speak for him. Um, my answer to that would be, you know, it's, it's distracting. Does that really move the needle forward and the needle, the way he wants the needle to be for, moved forward? Yeah. Something I've been wondering about for a while is what do your mornings look like? I notice like through following you on Instagram that you seem to have like some creative exercises that you do. Would you be willing to share those? Totally. So I'm huge on rituals. And I was actually just reading about rituals last night and how ancient 
civilizations or different civilizations have all these really sacred rituals because it allowed them to control the uncontrollable or think that they were controlling the uncontrollable. And I found that so fascinating because I feel like every morning I wake up and I know that, you know, the aim is to dive into the creative process, to, to write, to create off of a blank canvas. And I prepare myself to be able to even show up to do that work. And so that looks like, you know, I wake up and I have warm water with lemon. I pull out my journal and I per Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way another wonder mentor. Yes. Um, <laughs> I do my morning pages, three stream of consciousness, you know, sort of get the ego out of the way, address any worries that are in my space. Um, and sometimes, you know, morning pages can also be a beautiful space to get your creative juices flowing. Um, and after that, I, I have the wild unknowns animal spirit tarot deck and I pull a card to bring into my creative process. And sometimes I write about that a little bit. And then I light a candle and I turn on music and I swing on our swing. So we have a swing in our living room. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> we, we really designed, how do we design a space that evokes a sense of curiosity and wonder? Uh, and I then spray a little bit of one of my little fairy sprays, I say a creative prayer and I get to work. <laughs> That's incredible. I love it. Are, are you allowed to tell me your secret source for fairy spray? <laughs> I, have, I don't know why I called it fairy spray. <laughs> I, have, I have different ones. I have actually, I have, I met this woman in San Miguel de Ande, Mexico, who's like a total witch, but in the like best way possible and she made this like special moon spray <laughs> and so I have um, one is like she's like that was made under the moon and I don't even know what's in it but it smells incredible um so I have that and then I have a sage spray and then I have like a rose face mist so I like mist my face mist the space and like <laughs> invite my muses to come play with me <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure what you're defining is what my wife calls essential oils <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're a little different than essential oils, though. They're not. They're more of a spray format. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. I love that. I said, that sounded really cynical. That yeah, sure. I, that that was not cynical at all. <laughs> that is funny though. Speaking of cynicism, you know, I didn't think about that word when we first began our conversation. But often when I'm talking to people about wonder, you know, I talk about how cynicism is often an enemy of wonder. Would you agree with that? What what role do you feel like cynicism plays in all this? Cynicism, I think, definitely can be an enemy to wonder. When I think of someone who's, you know, a cynic, they're doubting, they're questioning, they're sort of shutting down ideas and possibilities. And while I think thinking through maybe the worst case scenario can actually be useful, I think any time it's shutting down uh, a realm of possibility or someone's desire to ask more questions, to inquire, to see what could be, I think it, it takes away. And so I think there's a, you know, there's a time and a place for, you know, offering sort of the, the cynic or the critic's point of view. Um, but I think most of the time it, it can hold back the creative process. Yeah. I, I often think, you know, one of the things that kept me from living my life in wonder of the world around me is that I was overexposed to so much. And it, I kind of had this like apathetic, been there, done that sort of attitude and the world had sort of lost its magic because I'd been exposed to it all. And when you're exposed to, 
you know, mm. s- so much at an early age. And then you combine that with, you know, all the things in our world that seem so fake and shallow. It just kind of creates this cynical attitude and it's hard mm. to see the wonder in anything anymore. Um, how, do you, how do you think you recovered from that? Becoming a dad, obviously, yeah. Mm. I, you know, I became a dad three years ago and that completely changed my life because I, I began watching the world through the eyes of my kids and they're the, actually the mm-hmm. ones that reawaken wonder in my life. Mm. Um, but I, when I think back, I'm like, what, what was it that crushed wonder? And I think for me, so much of it was cynicism. And the cynicism, I think, is often for me what gave birth to so many of those other things that you've been talking about, like fear and worry. And, right. Um, yeah, because in the voice, cynicism says, well, no one's going to appreciate that or no one's going to like that. And then you start worrying about what people think about it, and that gives birth to. And the next thing you know, fear is permeating everything. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. It's, it's part of what led to us wanting the theme this year for Story to, to be about that idea of curiosity. Um, and I, I love that you said that curiosity is wonder in action because mm. I feel mm. like I feel like story is about the action part. <clears throat> like it's fun to do a conference and get a bunch of people together for two days and hopefully inspire awe and wonder. But if they leave and that wonder doesn't lead to action, then I don't know that we help them very much. Sure. Um, sure. But so if they leave with their curiosity, be great, being greater than their fear, or they're curious enough to create. Um, and take risks and tell stories that matter, then I feel like we're producing meaningful art. And I feel like you have sort of embodied that. And I find it interesting that, you know, there's, it'd be different for a counselor or a psychologist or a neuroscientist to, to write a book about wonder and worry. But you are trying to create, you're trying to write a book on this subject. Mm-hmm. And in the process, you yourself you have to like practice what you're preaching, right? You have exactly. to embody these things that you're yeah. writing about in your own creative process. And I, I admire that a lot. I think yeah. it's really awesome. Yeah. That's why I thought Thank Amber you. was, you're the perfect guest for this show. And we really appreciate you uh, making the time in the midst of all the craziness. Yes, my pleasure. No, I, I love things like this because, you know, the, the way I even think about writing this book, which I literally am, you know, I am in the trenches of worry and wonder. <laughs> you know, writing this book is bringing up every worry that I didn't imagine that I had. <laughs> yeah. And so every day I, I'm given an opportunity to choose wonder. And so I'm so viscerally in it, and I feel like it's making the writing more powerful, more raw. Um, and, you know, again, like you said, I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm talking to those people. Um, but I, I feel like I'm able to create something that's more of a relatable piece of work. I hope. We'll see. <clears throat> Anytime someone comes to me and they say, well, oh, my God, I'm really suffered suffering with um, this thought that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or no one's going to like this, I say, great, channel that into your creative process. Feel that feeling as you paint that masterpiece. Uh, take that emotion and channel it into a piece of writing. So I feel like how we dance with our fears is we use our fears as creative energy rather than something that holds us back. And so when I, you know, when I hear you talking about your your son with the monster, how that become how we how that we dance with those fears is we channel them into creating something, anything. Part of it is that, you know, Liz Gilbert talks a little bit about how, you know, some some people in the corporate world they say punch fear in the face. 
Uh, and you know, she oh. she kind of jokingly said, "For a for a creator or an artist to punch a peer in the face means to literally punch yourself in the face <laughs> <laughs> because yes. you you are yes. your you are your fear." And so that's that's you know, reading and thinking through that idea has been it's been heavy on my mind and my heart as we work on this year's conference because. I really think for an artist, it's not punching it in the face. I think it's no. grabbing it by the hand and dancing with it. It's oh, a more absolutely. accurate picture. Yeah. So and hugging it, hug your fears. Don't <laughs> punch them. Because <laughs> you know, our, a fear is a part of us. It's a part of us that wants to be heard. It's a part of us that wants our attention. Why would we punch a part of ourselves in the face? Yes, exactly. That's that's one of the things that frustrates. If there's one thing that really gets under my skin is when we, because people come to me and they say, "How do I make my fear go away?" Like, how do I, like, I need to go to battle with my fears. I need to fight it. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to love it. Mm-hmm. You know, have compassion. That's a part of yourself. And it wants your attention. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, too, you talked about this earlier. Fears point you to what's most important to you. And Absolutely. and a lot of them are really valid, the fears that you mm-hmm. face. And by listening to your fears, a lot of times they can give you great direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say, thank you, fear, for being here. You're a signal of where I must go. Mm. That's so awesome. I could talk to you for hours. Oh, this is what I was going to say earlier. A book is written in dialogue. I feel like oftentimes our, our creativity happens through conversations like this. You sparked four, di- four ideas inside of me, and I feel like I know how the book ends now as a result of this conversation. <laughs> wow. So I, cool. I'm, deeply, I'm deeply grateful, too. And I, I, you know, I feel like all of these parts of the process are what really propel our curiosity into action well thank you so much for taking the time really appreciate it yes my pleasure have awesome. a great week we'll talk again talk soon. to you later amber all right thank you man that conversation was so timely for me because i feel like i've been wrestling with a lot of fears recently hmm. i mean all of us are constantly yeah yeah Yeah. totally and um i feel like this is the first time that i've had the realization that fears the monsters in my head aren't always bad they're pointing me to the direction to what i care about the most Mm -hmm. and um not that you're supposed to listen to every single word that that they tell you yeah yeah they do play a magical role there's this idea that um I've learned through counseling, like in the last year, talking about not letting fear drive the bus um, in your brain. And I, I've been kind of thinking about that, like not letting the monsters in my head take control of the wheel, but like inviting them to the front seat and saying, hey, tell me about your concerns. Where do you want to go? All right. Thank you for your input. I'm continuing to drive this bus right now and you can go sit in the back and I'm going to go where I want to go. And I'll check in with you. If yeah, I need I'll you. check in with you again. Just let me know like if you need anything else. It's such a more healthy, it's such a better ride to yes. do it like that instead of letting him take control of the wheel. And Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So I, li- I like thinking about it through that metaphor. You said him. Does that mean your, your fears are he's? Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, and my fears are gender neutral. <laughs> that, uh, let's not open that kind of words. That could lead to another whole conversation. That's so funny. Yeah, I love that. I again, I going into this conversation, I hinted ahead at that idea of you know what is curiosity and that it's wonder in action. And I love that because you know I 
we talked about our theme for this year at the beginning of this podcast mm. and now we're focused on curiosity this year. Um, but to be honest, like back when we were talking about curiosity, I was struggling with the difference between wonder and curiosity. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I struggled is because I felt like they're they're like intertwined, you know. I sure. love that you you called them frenemies. No, yeah. no, you said uh, I, worry and wonder are worry frenemies. Worry and wonder are frenemies. Like you need them both, and they can be friends with each other, yes. but at the same time, they're arguing about really important things. Yes. But yes, yeah. and so I thought, you know, that's interesting because wonder and fear, but curiosity and fear are also frenemies. I think, and so hmm. which path do we want to go down? And I always like there was something deep inside of me that's like I really feel like it's curiosity, but I don't feel like we can ignore wonder this year. It's just that ultimately it's really about curiosity. And as soon as she said that that curiosity is wonder in action, I was like, yes, Boom. that's it. Even before we jumped on our Skype call with her, you and I were talking about right. the difference between wonder and curiosity amongst ourselves. And we were talking about how wonder is this this emotion, this thing that you feel in response to something. Um, but I think to take action it's the the curiosity part. So I mm. I just I really love that and gosh this conversation makes me so pumped and excited me for too. the conference this year. Me too. Uh, so obviously Amber's doing really cool stuff. I can't wait to read her book. Um, she's working on it right now and going through the process of like picking publishing companies and I know it's going to be huge because mm-hmm. it couldn't be more timely for our culture. And she seems like the perfect person to write this. Absolutely. So yeah. I loved having a conversation with her. Um, <clears throat> so learn more about Amber. Her, her main website is heyamberray.com. She's heyamberray on socials, on Twitter, Instagram. And Ray is R-A-E. So just Hey Amber Ray. But the website that you need to check out if you're curious about this conversation is... Choosewonder.com. Yeah, choosewonder.com. Choosewonder.com. Um, gosh, I loved her. She was awesome. Yeah. I want to... I don't know if I should say this publicly on the podcast. I want to try to get her a story this year. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I know people want to hear more from her. So, hey, Sammy, it's good to see you. It's good to see thanks you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a really fun day. Yes, and thanks for hooking us up with Amber. You have some cool friends. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and all of you people out there last listening, thanks for being friends of Story. We appreciate you guys tuning in every single week. As always, you can learn more about Story once again by visiting storygatherings.com. Um, and we'd love your feedback. Feel free to shoot me an email anytime at harris at Astoria, I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. We love hearing from our listeners. If you have recommendations for show guests or just feedback about this particular podcast, uh, we are always doing everything we can to make this an awesome show um, that it provides value to you guys so that you can continue to do your most creative work that you've ever done um, and that that work would be super meaningful because stories, we believe, are what changed the world. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being a part of this community. We will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>